Join me in John 17, if you are not there already. John 17, verses 6 to 19. Clicker's not working, Caleb. There we go. John 17, 6 to 19. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we've confessed in song this morning. We justly stand accused. We are sinners. And the wages of our sin is death. And yet, Heavenly Father, this morning we come boldly in Christ alone because His blood pleads a better word. Rejoice in the hope that is ours in Christ. We are justly accused and yet we are justified through Jesus Christ, the God who is just and the justifier of him who puts his faith in Christ alone. Heavenly Father, this morning we rejoice in the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we come to this passage and we see Christ pleading for his own, may we be encouraged all the more. May we be strengthened in our faith. May you be honored in all that is said and done this morning. Give me clarity of mind and boldness and authority to proclaim the word of God with clarity and simplicity. And may your spirit take your word and may you work in each and every one of our lives, accomplishing your purposes for your glory. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we come to John 17 this morning. We're picking up where we were a few weeks ago. We took a break last week for Mother's Day to honor our mothers and the women that the Lord has placed in our lives. This morning we're coming back to our series in John, returning to the high priestly prayer of Christ as found in John 17. The setting is following directly after the farewell discourse of Jesus Christ. John 13 through John 16, Jesus and his disciples have gathered in the upper room. And Jesus is teaching them for the last time together as a group. They have the Last Supper. And then they get up and they leave that upper room. And John 15 and 16, they're, they're winding their way through the streets of Jerusalem as Jesus continues to teach. As you come to John 17, we have moved from Jesus' address, his final address to his disciples, to his final prayer for his disciples. As Jesus prays this prayer, they are still winding their way through the streets of Jerusalem, making their way to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus will separate himself for a time, where he will pray, where he will be arrested and taken to trial and ultimately crucified. 
We noted a few weeks ago when we were in the first five verses of John 17 as Jesus prays that God would glorify him, would do what he has, has, has set out to do. We noted how connected this high priestly prayer is to Jesus' farewell discourse. It is the same themes that lead straight from his teaching to his prayer. And so as we come to this passage this morning, Jesus has moved from pleading with his disciples, from teaching them, grasp this, believe this, understand this, to now pleading for them before the Father. As we come to this passage, this morning we'll see the subjects of Christ's prayer, the content of his prayer, and the goal of this prayer. The first thing we see, the subjects. The subjects of Jesus' prayer. Who is he praying for? It starts out here in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. I have manifested your name. The idea of to manifest is to make known. And the idea of your name is who you are. I have made known who you are. To manifest your name, as Jesus is using it here, is to make the Father known. Psalm 19.1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1, we see that creation proclaims the eternal power and the divine nature of God. And yet it is Christ alone who is the image of the invisible God, as Colossians 1 tells us. Christ alone is the radiance of the glory of God, as Hebrews 1 tells us. As Christ himself has said back in John 14, verses 8 to 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Creation proclaims the glory of God, and yet Christ alone uniquely manifests who God is. I have made known the Father to you in a way that has not been done before. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So who is it? Who are these men to whom Christ has made the Father known? The men whom you gave me out of the world. In fact, it goes on. We see in verse 6 here that they are chosen. have been revealed. Verse 6. They're chosen. Truth has been revealed to them and they have believed. First thing we see here, the men whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours. They were yours. That little statement, they were yours, is packed with truth. They were yours. Even before they were Christ's, they were God's. They were God's in two ways. First, they were God's because He is Creator and He created them. 
Secondly, here were gods because in eternity past, he elected them. Even before they were Christ, they were gods. Election and eternity past, they were mine. They were always going to be mine. They were gods, and then you gave them to me. They were chosen, and then the truth was revealed to them. They accepted. They were accepted and taught by Christ. God gave them to Christ. And they have kept your word. They were obedient in faith. They believed. They were chosen in eternity past. The truth was revealed to them in Christ. And they believed. That is who these men are. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Who are these men? It is those who have believed in Jesus Christ up until this point. Now, verse 7 goes on, Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. That's an interesting statement, considering how much John has pointed out, how little they've actually understood. That's been one of the themes throughout the book of John, is how little they actually get it. The idea here is not they fully understand everything, but that what they can understand, free resurrection, they fully accept and believe. They may not be able to fully grasp everything as Jesus is revealing it to them, but what they do is they believe it. You've known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me. John 14, 24, Jesus says that he has spoken only the words that God gives him. Here we see the unity and the message between Father and Son. I have spoken the words which you have given me, and they have received them. Christ delivered the truth, and they have believed the truth. Not only did they receive them, but they have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. They were convinced of Jesus' divinity and of his message. They, 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 they believe that Jesus came from God, that's his divinity, and they believe that he sent me. They believe the message sent to them by God in Christ. In these first several verses, verses 6 through 8, we see who these men are that Jesus is praying for here in these verses. It is those who have believed, who have been chosen in eternity past, to whom the truth has been revealed, and who believed and obeyed the word of God. Verse 9. Jesus identifies them all the more. I pray for them. Them is everyone we've seen in verses 6 through 8. It's those who have believed. And principally, principally as we see here, as you can take the context into mind, principally it's the 11 disciples who are with him at this moment. But practically it's everyone who's believed up until that point. I pray for them. For these who are with me and for everyone who has believed in me up until this point. I do not pray for. Now here's an interesting point. 
Jesus here draws a distinct line. This is who I am praying for. This is who I am not praying for. And shockingly, shockingly, maybe not so much to us today, but in that day, shockingly, that distinct line that Jesus draws is not between Jew and Gentile. It's between believer and non-believer. It is not their nationality that sets them apart or their strict adherence to the law. It is their election by the Father and their faith in Christ. That's what we just saw in verses 6 to 8. I do not pray for the world. That's in contrast with who he is praying for. I'm praying for those who believed. I do not pray for the world. That includes everyone who has not believed. All non-believers, including Jews. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. They were yours in eternity past. Now they believe they are still yours. They were yours. They are yours. Verse 10, And all mine are yours. All who are mine have always been yours. So all who are in Christ by faith are given by God. And yours are mine. So all who are in Christ by faith are given by God, and all who are given by God will be in Christ. Everyone that God gives to Christ will be accepted by Christ, will place their faith in Christ. It's both a statement of divinity, of Jesus Christ, all who are yours are mine, and it's a statement of security. All who were yours will be mine. Takes us back to the idea that we see in John 10, verses 28 to 29, where Jesus talks about the security of the believer. They are safe in God's hands and they are safe in Christ's. It's almost double security. All who are mine, all who are in Christ by faith are given by God, and all who are given by God will be in Christ. In fact, we'll see that in just a few verses later. Not one will fall away. And I am glorified in them. In the first five verses of John 17, we saw that God is glorified in Christ's glorification. Glorify me, Christ prays, so that I can glorify you. And here we see that Christ is glorified in the saving and the keeping of all who are in him. So in these first Several verses, verses 6 to 10, Jesus is identifying who it is that he is praying for. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me. Who are these men? It is all who have believed in Jesus Christ up until this point. So the subjects of Jesus' prayer are those who have believed in him till this point. Principally, it's the 11 disciples who are right there with Jesus. Practically, it's everyone including the Samaritans from John 4. 
Gentiles and Jews, all who have believed in him. So that's the subjects. That's who this prayer, this section of the prayer, verses 6 to 19, is principally addressed to. All who see and believe. But what is the content of Jesus' prayer? The content of Jesus' prayer, as we will see in the next several verses, verses 11 to 17, is that God would keep them and that he would complete his work in them. Verse 11 here. Jesus returns to to the the, the change that is at hand. It is this change, Christ's departure, that has run underneath this entire farewell discourse and, and now into his high priestly prayer. There is a change that is coming. Christ is departing. All throughout his farewell discourse, he's he's encouraged his disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm not abandoning you. I am going, but I will come back for you. All throughout this farewell discourse, that has been the main concern of the disciples. Well, where are you going? Why can't we come? In verse 11, Christ returns that. I am no longer in the world. I am leaving. But these are in the world. These who have believed, who are yours, who are in me, they're staying behind. I'm coming to you. Back in John 13, verse 36, when talking to his disciples, Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. You cannot follow me now. God's not done with you here. I'm moving on. I'm going to heaven to the presence of God, but but he's not done with you now. So these believers whom Jesus Christ is praying for, they're going to be left. Jesus is leaving, but they are staying. As you come now, continue in verse 11, we see the prayer continues. Holy Father. Holy Father. That's the only place we see that in John. Holy Father, you who are set apart, keep them through your name. You who are set apart, keep them set apart. Through your name. Because of who you are. The believer's security in life and in eternity is not in their performance. It's not in their nationality. It's not in their their keeping of the law or anything like that. It is in the grace of God. And who God is. And there is no more sure footing on which to stand. Keep them through your name. Those whom you have given me. To the end that they may be one as we are. Keep them in your name. To the end that they may be one as we are. Your unity is rooted not in your nationality, the language you speak, or or anything along those lines. Your unity is rooted in your identity in Christ. Keep them through your name so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 
While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. I have faithfully fulfilled my mission, my duty, that you have sent me to do. I have been faithful. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost. Except. Except the son of perdition. This is not an admission of failure by Jesus. It's not an oversight. This is not an area in which Christ has fallen short. Because if one is lost, then all are lost. It's according to God's plan. In fact, that's what he goes on to say, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This was always known. This is not an accident. It did not sneak up on me. Psalm 41.9, Psalm 109.8. They tell of this. Judas was not lost. Judas was never saved. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That takes us back to the passage we studied in the farewell discourse in John 15, 11. True joy is not found in any of the empty promises of this world. True joy is found in Christ. It's abiding in Him. Persevering in faith, growing in Christ. Keep them, Father, Holy Father, keep them set apart as you are set apart, as I have kept them, so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word. In just a few verses, Jesus will will build on that. That word that he has given is all that we need to grow and to endure in Christ. I have given that to them. And the world has hated them. John 15, 18 to 16, 4. Again, back to the farewell discourse. Notice how connected this discourse is with this prayer. The world has hated them. We saw it just a few weeks ago. Why? Because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. That's interesting. They are not of the world. Back in verse 6, he says, you gave them to me out of the world. So they were at one point of the world. But a change has taken place. They were given to Christ out of the world, but now they are no longer of the world. Because in Christ, they have a new identity. In Christ, they have a new home. Those who are in Christ are no longer in the world. John 14, verses 1 to 3, Jesus tells them, I am going to my Father's house. I'll prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be. That's your new home. That's your new identity. And yet, verse 15, you're staying here in the world. I am going, you are staying. So I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. 
that she should keep them from the evil one. Jesus' prayer is not that he would remove them, but that he would keep them, specifically from Satan and all the evil that would derail them. Keep them. Here we return to that idea. That's the, the, the central idea of this specific prayer here. Jesus is praying to the Father, keep them. Keep them. Don't let them fall away. We see that in our day and age. How many a church has been founded and grown under the personality of a great preacher? And then when he moves away, what happens? People move away. That church shrinks. Keep them. Don't let them fall away. Don't let them leave. Keep them. Not that you would take them out of the world. Right? Because that would be our question. Well, well, why not just remove them from the world? If there is danger in the world, why not just remove them from the world? They have believed. They've been saved. So once Christ dies and he rises again and he returns, why not just take them with them? Remove them from the danger. Because God is not done with them. And God is not done with the world. And that's exactly what we see as, as we continue into verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Again, stressing their new identity. There's a song. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. They are not of the world. This world is not their home. But keep them in the world. Because you're not done with them. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. We use that word sanctification, sanctify. We use it in terms of growing in Christ, growing in godliness. The word itself is tied to holiness, to grow in holiness, to be set apart. So keep setting them apart. By your truth. God is not done working in them. And so keep them. But don't keep them stagnant. God will keep, and as he keeps, he changes. Keep them, but also sanctify them. Work in them. Don't just... The idea is not just to, to hide them away, keep them safe. But that they would grow. Sanctify them. How? By your truth. The word of God plays a central role in the lives of believers. 
Sanctify them by your truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. We know and love those verses. They testify of, of God's work in us through the word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It is God's truth revealed in God's word through which God works to sanctify his own. You're not done working in them. Keep them, but sanctify them. That's the the content of this prayer. That's the two big ideas in here. Keep them and sanctify them. They've already believed. That's who he's praying for. He's praying for those who have believed. Verses 6 to 10. Those who are in him. So now as I leave, as these are left behind in this world that is filled with devils, in this world in which, which, which the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, in this world, keep them. And sanctify them. To what end? What's the goal? What's the goal of this prayer? As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You're left in the world with a purpose. As you sent me into the world, Christ was sent with with the purpose that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I also have sent them into the world. They are left in the world, but left in the world with a purpose. As God keeps them and he works in them, Christ sends them. So that's number one, the goal. Keep them and sanctify them as I send them. And then verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself. Right, so you have to go back to the word sanctify, the idea of, of holiness in there to be set apart. What Jesus here is saying is Jesus has set himself apart to the Father's will. I've dedicated myself to that. I've set myself apart to that. I've, I have totally set myself apart to, to the Father's will, the incarnation, the cross, the resurrection. I've set myself apart to that. To what end? That these also, whom you have given me, these who have believed, These whom you will keep, they also may be sanctified by the truth. I have set myself apart so that they can be set apart. Christ came to reveal the Father and to complete the work that the Father gave him so that God could complete his work in believers. Christ was set apart to the incarnation and the cross and the resurrection so that we could be set apart to God. 
So as you work your way through the section of the prayer, who is the subjects of this prayer? It is those who have believed. Up until this point, as Christ is praying this prayer, it is those who have believed, set apart in eternity past, to whom the truth has been revealed and who have accepted and believed that truth. And that line is not drawn between Jew and Gentile. That line is not drawn between lawkeeper and lawbreaker. That line is drawn by faith in Christ, who has believed. The content of that prayer. These who have believed, who you have given me, who I have been faithful, as Jesus prays, I have been faithful to do the work that you've sent me on. These who have believed, the prayer is, Father, that you would keep them and that you would sanctify them. And the goal, that they would be sent out to the world and that you would complete in them what you have begun, that you would sanctify them. You may think, well, if this, if this passage, if this section of this high priestly prayer is for those who have believed in Christ up until this point when Christ prays this before he goes to the cross, why didn't we just skip over it to verses 20 through 26, the part that applies to us? Because this does apply to us. In just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate high school those in high school among us who have graduated. We're going to have a service that's called a baccalaureate service. And on the front row, somewhere along here, those who graduated will sit. And as Andrew gets up and he opens the word, his message will be directed to them. They're the subjects of that message. He's, he's looking at them. He's encouraging them with the truth. And yet, does that mean it's not applicable to the rest of us who will be in here on that day? No, it's a message that is focused on the seniors, but it's the word of God, and so it's applicable to the whole church. Amen. As we come to this passage, it's the same thing. The focus of John 17, verses 6 to 19, is on Christ's followers in that day, principally the 11 disciples who are with him. But the specific focus of these verses does not limit their truth to only first century believers. In fact, as we go to verses 20 to 26, Lord willing, next week, we'll see many of these same truths applied and brought into everybody who have believed in Christ. The foundation of this prayer is the same. That you have been chosen in eternity past if you've placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation. As the truth was revealed to you that you have believed. That God keeps you, that he sanctifies you in his truth. And that Christ died so that you could be sanctified and ultimately glorified. So as we come to the point of application, what do we see in a passage like this? As I study, it, I've told Crystal before many times, 
as a, as a pastor, as, a, as, as I spend all week soaking in a passage, a particular passage that we're going to begin for the next Sunday. As I soak in that passage, as I study that passage, and then as I, as I put it all together and I write a sermon and I go back and I read that sermon on Saturday, getting ready for Sunday morning, every week what I have written feels so shallow compared to the depths of the Word of God that I have been in. As you look at a passage like this, and that's true with every passage, but, but maybe all the more so with a passage like this. A prayer between Christ and God, the Son and the Father. Oh, the depths of truth that we see here that we can't even begin to scratch the surface of, and yet it's the Word of God, and God works through His Word. So as you come to, to a point of application, what, what do we see here? Well, first, see the Father's love and find comfort in it. The Father who chose you from eternity past. Those who believe in Jesus have been known and chosen from eternity past. He loved you then, and he loves you now, and he will keep you. So just meditate on that. Meditate on the Father's love for you. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you were chosen from eternity past. Secondly, see Christ's deep compassion as he prays for his own. And find hope in Christ's compassion. In this passage, we get a glimpse into heaven as Christ is at the right hand of God pleading for us. And what deep love and care we find for his own in this passage. Jesus' prayer here is not lifeless. It's not something, okay, this is part of what God has sent me to do. I have to do this. It's not motivated only by obedience. Here we find the deep and tender love and care of Christ for you and for me. There is emotion in these words. Christ is pleading with his Father. Find hope and encouragement in that. That God loves you. That Christ cares for you. Finally, find purpose in Christ's call. See your calling to both grow in Christ, to grow in sanctification, and a purpose sent into the world to go and to reach the world. If you are here this morning, then God is not done with you. Thrive in the world by soaking in the word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Soak in the word. Abide in Christ. And grow.
go, sent into the world. That will be expanded, that idea there, as Christ prays, I've sent them into the world, that's expanded as we see later in Matthew 28 and Acts 1, the, the Great Commission, go to all the world. But there's a purpose, there's a meaning. God is at work and he is not done in the world and he is not done in you. And so find comfort in the Father's love for you. He loves you. He elected you from eternity past and he will not let you go. You cannot lose the salvation that is yours in Christ. Find hope in Christ's compassion. He cares for you. And even to this day, he pleads for you at the right hand of the Father. And find purpose in Christ's call to you. That you would continue to be sanctified in the word of God. And that you would go to the world with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ.